You are listening to Sharing Connections, a podcast from the Center for Conscious Caregiving, and I'm your host, Rich Carney. Sharing Connections introduces you to holistic teachers and practitioners where we discuss various topics and techniques to help build resiliency. Each week, get to know our guests who are empowering caregivers and transforming caregiving. Hello and welcome back. This week, I'm joined with Kelly Roman. Kelly is a volunteer supervisor for Ascend Hospice, a certified end-of-life doula, an educator, and an ordained minister. Thank you so much for joining me, Kelly. Thank you, Rich. So, can you tell me a little bit about your background? Because that's quite a diverse (laughs) background and skill set that you have. Um... And how you got into, because you're going to be doing a class here with us at the center, Mindful Caregiving. So how you got into your path that you're on right now. So I've been in healthcare now for six years. And uh, back in 2010, I was originally going for my teaching certificate in art. And I had a background um, from going to art school. And um, was not having any success. And in the midst of having a half a year teaching, I had the um, experience of my brother going into the nursing home. He was a 20-year veteran alcoholic, um, 45 years old. And he was almost dying at the time my mom had found him. And it was determined that, you know, he was going to the hospital and what would have been the inevitable and his death turned into nine months of being able to reconnect with him again. Um, He did go into a nursing home for full-time care. Um, The effects of the alcohol over 20 years showed its signs. Um, I took the, I guess, the opportunity Um, when I was visiting with him daily with my mom and realized that I was not going into teaching. Um, And she said, well, why don't you get a job in activities? Because while visiting with him, I would get to know the other residents there and had a great rapport with them. And, And so I did. And that began my journey, so to speak. Um, So over the course of nine months, uh, I took it as the gift that my mother and I, our family had to spend those last months with him. Um, It wasn't, you know, in terms of dealing with end of life issues, um, it was in your face, it was raw, it was unsettling, but I took some uh, advantages by reading. He had a diagnosis of hepatic encephalopathy and I felt by being there all the time with him, being confronted with it, and then reading about his diagnosis, it was easier for me to almost face what was coming because Mm. I saw the um, effects, I saw the the decline, and it was, um, it's not easy. I can't really, I can't say that any experience with death and dying is easy. That's what it's supposed to be a struggle. It's supposed to be raw and it's supposed to, um, you're supposed to suffer and that's how we grow through it. 
So that's my experience with him um, up until his, his death in January of 2010. And I was on a mission and searching, what am I supposed to do now? Um, you know, what, I had two small children, a family, my husband, and we were just questioning what I was supposed to do with my life, a career. And when I looked into the um, healthcare aspect where I was in activities, um, the idea of going into um, the certification for activity director came up. And it wasn't until after he passed that I immediately signed up for it and pursued it. The night that he did pass, um, and this was the, the poignant moment that really set me on my mission where I am today. My mom reached out to the hospice service that he was on and it was around midnight and he was actively dying and she called and was asking for somebody to come to provide support and they didn't have anybody. And she's a veteran 40-year nurse and she was angry and she was angry for obvious reasons. She was a family member first, um, you know, losing her first son and she didn't understand why this was happening. So I was there to tell her, you know, we don't need anybody. We have everybody we need, you know, that's going to be here. He's supported, he's loved, and it couldn't have been a better way for him to leave and transition. So in mindset, I was like, man, there's got to be something better to create a bridge between the family members and the clinical team to provide the support, uh, just to be a presence. And, you know, when everybody's kind of going through their own emotions and their own state um, and dealing with death and dying, there's that presence in the room that's going to be there to just assist when needed, be an active listener, and, you know, guide them through the process. So I didn't know what that was. I just knew that that's what I needed to be doing and something needed to be done. So I pursued uh, following after, following his death and I was out for a week. I returned to work and I immediately sat vigil with a woman who was dying. Um, I was just drawn to it. I'm doing my rounds. I'm going to rooms. And there was this woman and I immediately got pulled, you know, was pulled into the rooms and sat with her for her last minutes, literally. And, um, and said, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And that pursued. So uh, for the next three and a half years, I just sat with my residents. I balanced my time with leading programs and uh, sitting vigil with my residents and whoever needed to have somebody in the room while they were dying. Um, sometimes family members would come in and during the process, um, I would, you know, offer my condolences, offer support. But I would always come back to, I'm sorry for your loss. I was a family member too. And as soon as I said that, instead of looking at me as a healthcare worker, they looked at me as human, as somebody that knew what they were going through. And I felt that that was um, something that needed to also be that connection between, I guess, humans and people that mm -hmm. there's such a disconnect so that's really where it started. Um, 
I could go on if you like. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really powerful story because it's not... A lot of times this work isn't... When you're a little kid, you're not like, I want to work with the, the, the death and dying. It's not something that a lot of people look to do, but it's so needed because it's so misunderstood and because we are hush-hush about it and we don't really talk about it while we're healthy and living and fine now, that when the time comes, it's... You're having mm. all these emotions and you do, you just need that person that is just going to be present and I am here for you and I'll listen to you because there is that people think with healthcare providers, whether it's a nurse or anyone on the staff, there is that kind of disconnect because with, um, there's a difference with volunteers and paid staff that people can perceive that if it's a volunteer, they really want to be there and be present. And with a paid staff, sometimes the perception is they have to be here and they're taking care of the clinical and medical stuff and they're dealing with all of that. So it can be perceived as like a disconnect and there's that humanness is missing that with what you did kind of provided for them that's so wonderful um so is that what kind of fuel that kind of experience fueled your interest in creating a more mindful caregiving program like did you notice because we noticed with caregivers there's a lot of burnout was that something that you started to experience and notice in the field? Yeah, I noticed it more on a professional level because I would see the clinical team um, and how they maneuvered their, throughout their day, um, interaction with patients and family members if they were present. My, um, the, um, I'd have to say, after three years of doing that, and I want to say work, but just being guided to sit with people. Um, I was presented with the term of end of life doula and it had come shortly after it's one of my friends had said, I know you work in healthcare. What do you do again? And I said, I work in activities. I immediately came out of my mouth. I make people laugh and I help people die. And then I had heard this term that was like, what is that end of life doula? And I said, I know what a birth doula is, yeah. but now we have an end of life doula. And it was everything that I had already been doing. And it was in this class and it was at the open center in New York. I didn't go and didn't take it. I looked into other opportunities to take a class. And all of a sudden it just flooded my head. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is, this is where I'm supposed to be. Definitely. So it just opportunities kept coming up. Um, I took that and, and again, you know, we try to stay away from labels, but it's, it helps people identify with things. So if I had walked around and said, I like to sit with the dying, um, you know, I did that. I went home a lot. I talked about my experiences because I needed to get it off my chest. I needed to 
talk about it. I talked about it with my mom being a nurse. She understood, but you know, my family wasn't so understanding. Why would you, (laughs) why are you so interested in this? You're so obsessed. Um, why is this so important to you? And it's because I saw so many people without someone with them. I saw so many times that the family members had missed the call that their loved one was passing. I'd seen so many times that our clinical team, and by no mistake of their own, just by what they had to do in their 12-hour day, double shifts, whatever it was, you know, the signs of decline and and eminent death and dying symptoms were being overlooked and the family members weren't being called. And there was a total gap of, of human connection, of a need for just guidance. And it wasn't, again, not pointing a finger and saying, well, you're to blame or you're to blame. Yeah. It was just, there is a broken system here that needs to be recognized. And then as you start to see it, mm-hmm. you know, of course, any, any shift in perception, you start to see things clearer. You start to meet people that you're supposed to meet. And that's when it started to happen. People were coming into my life and they too were being drawn to this line of work. Mm-hmm. And the more that's being advertised and the more it's being talked about, you know, people are becoming more curious about it. Um, so it brought me to, you know, where I am today in hospice, um, after receiving, you know, getting my certificate as an activity director, um, I learned all my skill sets, but still felt drawn to work an end of life and pursued my job where I am today, that it's not just the community, it's not just volunteers, but it's the caregivers in healthcare that need to be re-educated to take care of themselves. And it's similar to the philosophy of what Suzanne did for the center when she got started. And that, I think, when I first saw her speak, that's how I was really drawn to her and just said, I'm going to go up there and I'm going to, and I did, I saw her after she spoke at Georgian court and Carol was there. And I just said, I'm going to be an end of life doula. And she goes, you need to talk to Carol <laughs> because Carol <laughs> wants to be an end of life doula too. Yeah. And that's how Carol and I met. Uh, but that's really how I just started talking about it and just getting it out there. And what a true form of manifestation when we talk about how our thoughts create our reality. Mm-hmm. It took three years, but here I am, I'm interviewing, you know, talking about this way of being and a way a practice to heal ourselves while caring for others. So we're not forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, um, promoting it in the company to now roll out eventually by the summer. Wow. So that's wonderful. So how have you, what are some of the changes that you've noticed, um, when people are <laughs> mindfully caregiving? what is the difference between someone that is mindful with their caregiving versus someone that isn't? So somebody that isn't mindful um, would be always, I mean, you can see it in their physical features. You know that they're always tired. Um, You know, some symptoms of fatigue is forgetfulness and 
um, you know, the burnout, which can include, you know, not taking care of themselves physically, mentally, spiritually, not taking time out for themselves, always thinking about the other person before to meet their needs before they meet their own needs, their individual needs. Um, and I, before we had this conversation, I did speak to my mom and I said, can I use you as an example? Because <laughs> she's, she's been taking care of my grandmother for 18 years now. And I've, as I would kind of work through my own, um, self-care planning and, um, you know, work within to, and I'm still a work in progress. We all are. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I, there's times I feel like I regress. Um, you know, there's times that things will come up and, um, I'll touch on that in a second. The, um, just talking to my mom every day, she re, I always have to tell her mom, breathe. Because yeah. she'll keep repeating the same thing. Like she knows the outcome of the day. The person, you know, their their codependent relationship um, where, you know, my grandmother depends on her and she depends on my grandmother in essence as the nurse, as the constant caregiver. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a bad thing. But if we don't know how to correct to take care of ourselves... You know, this is why the caregiver goes before the patient and the loved one, because they just don't take care of themselves. So, you know, I'm sure there's a whole, um, I I think it would be like a whole session and (laughs) just to talk about that, but it's just touching on things that, you know, Mm -hmm. there's days where I just talk to my mom and I go, okay, well, you know what to expect now, breathe. Uh So, or, you know, go before you go over, um, you know, tell yourself not to react Mm-hmm. to, you know, certain things said or the personality that comes out or the behavior that's displayed, you know, yeah. that's our biggest, um, I think fault is reacting to things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. Cause when you're in that constant reactive, it's, it takes a toll on you on every level, mentally, emotionally, physical physically when you're just constantly reacting because it's just like a a bombardment of different things even if you even if you know what those things are the things that are coming if you're not taking care of yourself you wear your stamina just isn't there to be resilient and bounce back from it Mm -hmm. um so that's really wonderful. You said you were going to touch a little bit about how you were sliding back. You said you were going to touch a little bit more on that with your progress. Yeah. Um, right after a couple of years um, later, after I moved on, I started to take um, various classes. So I was Reiki certified and then I started my spiritual counseling course through um, based on the Course in Miracles. Um, my mentor is uh, in Tom's River, who I love. I still contact her and keep keep in touch with her. And I always talk to her about regressing or falling off, you know, um, not, I'll say in a second. So I'd always say, I'm regressing. She says, no, Kelly, you're just stepping off the path and you just have to get back on. Mm-hmm. You're not going backwards. You're just stepping off the path. Um, it's normal. We're human. And 
um, moving forward with all those experiences, I found a woman based out of Texas to do my end of life doula certification with. I had already had three years of con what they would consider contact hours. And I was really just um, talking to other women, and it was women at the time, more women, mm -hmm. in the community from all over the states and Canada that would oh, jump wow. on a line, and they would talk. And a lot of them were really focused on creating their own businesses to provide services to families. Mm -hmm. So while all this was going on, um, you know, a year, two years after my brother, my dad's health declined. And so began that journey, um, told him to move closer to me. And he was, he was living out West, um, like in, uh, East Windsor. So mm -hmm. I live in Eatontown and I said, just move closer to me. And I kind of, it was almost like a foreshadowing, like when something happens, I will take care of you, but just do this. And he did. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't happy with the choice that he made. To move closer because uh -huh. he moved in the same building as my mom. Uh -huh. um, but when I tell this story, at the end, people are like, wow, that's pretty cool. Like when you look at it um, from a different perspective. So that began initially everything that I was learning and the experience I had with my brother and the experiences I had with all the patients I had sat with. Now it's time to really get upfront, close and personal um, and utilize everything that I was learning to work through this relationship with my father, who for years was, you know, in and out of my life. And I had always used that same tape playing in the back of my head that he was never there and, you know, created a victim out of myself because of it. And all these things that we learn about, you know, just self-actualization that when we were working through these end of life reviews, I, I called it, um, we opened up to each other. Um, I forgave him and said, you know, what's, what's in the past is in the past. Um, I said some things that I needed to say. I finally spoke up to him. I never had done that before. And that really pushed me forward. And while a lot of people were questioning my actions, like, why would you forgive him? Why are you still helping him? It's because when you forgive somebody, you're initially setting yourself free because it's hurting mm -hmm. you. It's causing you pain. Yeah. Um, and I didn't pick my parents, but I had this person who was in my life to teach me a valuable lesson on yeah. forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So I was moving forward with that. And, um, you know, in the end, he... Um, talked about his experiences, spiritual experiences. And we didn't talk too deep about a lot of things. I think it was still that my fear of him losing him as a, as my dad, that I didn't get too deep into a conversation, but we did touch on some things, just our experiences through life. Um, what I've been going through, you know, taking these classes, what interested, you know, me and, and working in the end of life. So then he would share his experiences and what, uh -huh. and he had, um, through his life. So moving forward, um, he, um, died suddenly, um, and the experience I had with him from that last year 
allowed me to get rid of all that past. I think, you know, the, that luggage and the, or the baggage that we, we carry. Yeah. So when he did pass, I was able to grieve for him and what we term in hospice appropriately. So I didn't have, you know, all these feelings of resentment, guilt. Um, I was just grieving for the loss of my dad. And I still have moments where, you know, and I tell people all the time, you're not done grieving. Uh It happens. You grieve how you grieve. There is no right way. There is no wrong way. Um, You know, there's there's people out there like Elizabeth Cougar Ross who, you know, taught us steps and the different um, methods of grief and how it affects us. But there is no one way that it comes through in sequential order. It just yeah. happens when it happens. And yeah. I openly displayed that with people. I talked about it. And yeah. when I was with patients and family members, although you don't get too personal, I would share with them briefly, like, I'm going through a loss right now, um, or whatever it was. And and we just had that connection again because they were losing their dad or they just lost a father. So that was my connection with people. Um, so yeah, it was very, it was very useful and that's where, um, and I read it and then I experienced it that through loss and anything traumatic, we tend to grow, um, at a considerable rate where we take that experience and then we, we can either pass it on, we serve others, we talk to people, we're there for guidance, whatever it is, we take that experience from our loss. Um, and that's in essence what I decided to do um, with my brother, especially that he didn't die in vain. He made, you know, like so many people have addictions, um, you know, Whatever was um, affecting him in his life, I don't hold him at fault. He made bad choices. And I just felt that he was like my first person, like my mentor, the catalyst to to get me to where I am. So I always like talking about him to just explain that to people when they're going through their own experiences of caregiving mm-hmm. and um, how to work through it and so on yeah and it sounds like by being mindful and like doing the work it's made you very effective at being able to give care to others without yourself like you're still able to keep yourself intact without and still being able to care for others and not let it be draining to you. So that's really important and needed. And a lot of caregivers just, they don't do that. Um, so we're really excited for this class that you're going to be doing. If there's one tip that you can give a caregiver um, to be a little bit more mindful what would that be? To breathe. <laughs> because we forget to breathe. I catch myself doing it at times. You, you end up holding your breath. You feel your joints tighten. You know, the stress throughout the day, the stress throughout the week, it, it builds up. And in every class, and a lot of people have trouble 
know, learning how to meditate or they feel like they're not doing it right. I was one of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, you know, struggling with that. But everywhere I've ever read, whether you take yoga, anything, it's all about the breath. Yeah. And, you know, my mom was, it was funny during that time when I was, um, you know, shown the class about the doula class. Mm-hmm. The, um, her, her recommendation was to just meditate on the trees outside her window. So, you know, my mom's not going to sit there, close her eyes and meditate. So there's different ways of meditating. You can meditate while cleaning. You can meditate while looking out the window and just watching life happen outside. So in that moment of doing all these movements, you're now breathing. So you focus on your breath first. And I started a, um, I I ran a class not too long ago and had the women do a breathing exercise by literally saying in your head to breathe in and say, breath in. And then as it goes out, you go breath out. And as you inhale and so on. And because we need that almost guidance until it becomes second nature to us. So, yeah, and and everything you do, that's what, you know, that's what keeps us here is our breath. And it's movement and it's rhythm and it's, so that would be my tip. Awesome. That's really wonderful. So can you talk about, um, before we wrap up, your class coming up here at the center, Mm -hmm. the Mindful Caregiving? So we are scheduled at the center May 13th. It's a Saturday, 10 to 4 p.m. Cost is $85. In this class, you will learn skill sets, um, how to be mindful for your own well-being. We'll go through some exercises like I described with the breathing techniques, um, how to create a healing environment, uh, which reduces the stress and giving some, you know, when you, when you're done throughout your day of caregiving, um, and you're creating this healing environment, it allows your body to wind down, become more present with yourself. And you'll notice that your attention becomes a little bit more in tune. You look and feel more vibrant. You're able to, you know, take on whatever, you know, tasks or um, if there is a crisis, you'll be able to take anything on because you become more balanced. And um, that's really what is important to keep you moving, just, you know, take care of your loved ones and patients if they are. So there's going to be a well-diverse group of people. There are family members, professionals, healthcare professionals, first responders, um, you know, what do these people do when they're done with their shifts? And most of them, and I always give them credit, these 12 hour, you know, long shifts. Yeah. Um, I mean, I always talk about how I need eight hours of sleep yeah. a night mm-hmm. and, you know, those who go out and they work 12 hours or they have to pull double shifts, you know, I give them a lot of credit, but how are they balancing that? Yeah. So this is where something like a class like this would come in handy for them and just give, and it's also a day for, um, you know, rest for them. They can come out for a couple hours Mm -hmm. and learn these techniques and meet with other people. You're networking, 
you know, there's going to be time for questions. There's going to be time for stories and, um, and just being able to just take some time to yourself. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. And another thing I want to point out too, is that a lot of people are caregivers and they don't even realize it. So if you are a parent, if you are a teacher, if you are a police officer, a therapist, um, this would be a great class for you. And also, even if you aren't those things right now, in the future, you may become a parent or you may have to care for a loved one that's sick. If you come to this class, you can learn these techniques so that if you're ever in a situation where you're caring for others, you have, oh, that's right, I took that class with Kelly, that was so great, and I learned all these great techniques, so now I can learn how to effectively caregive without draining myself. Correct. So, that's really, really wonderful. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. And also to add that um, anyone who takes a class will go away with a little giveaway bag, um, and we'll include a meditation CD, essential oil, and a worry stone, and you'll go away with some references um, that touched on the topics discussed in that class. Wonderful, wonderful. And this is also, I believe this is Mother's Day weekend Correct. as well. So this would be a great Mother's Day kind of present mm -hmm. for your mother to have her come out for the day and learn these um, self-care techniques so that she can take care of herself and mm -hmm. be more effective. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll have my mom come. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining me, Kelly. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Rich. Thank you so much for listening to Sharing Connections. Join us next week for a new exclusive interview. You can find this podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Visit our website, www.thecenterforconsciouscaregiving.org for more information about the wonderful work we do. You can also find us on Facebook, The Center for Conscious Caregiving. If you have any questions, comments, or thoughts, please email them to me at info at thecenterforconsciouscaregiving.org. I'm Rich Carney. Thank you so much for allowing me to share this connection with you. Have a wonderful week.